This is Rugger Matrix International, episode 188, TMO Report Car. As always, Rugger Matrix is brought to you by Strike, Australia's leading provider of Bluetooth car kits and other handheld devices. Make sure you get your cradle today. If you get caught, it could cost you big time. Strike.com.au will give you 10% off if you enter the code Rugger Matrix on checkout. So make sure you look after your driving today. Check out strike.com.au. Rugger Matrix also brought to you by mybean.com.au. Coffee direct from the roaster to you and they sell at roaster's prices. Hello and welcome to the show. Had a few weeks off and I am solo today. No Mark Cashman who will be back next week. And we had a lot of great rugby over the weekend. Heineken Cup, of course, decided. Matt Gitto and Drew Mitchell flying the flag for the Aussies. And, of course, we got other competitions decided. And the Test Series in the Southern Hemisphere is almost upon us. But today, it's all about the whistleblowers, the referees who do the hard job. And I'm happy to say our legendary Australian referee who recently retired, World Cup referee, international test referee, Stu Dickinson is our special guest on Rugger Matrix International. Stu, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Jiro. Great to be here. What a great little studio it is. Yeah, it is. And there you are, over the shoulder, some of the <laughs> fine images from SMP over the years <laughs> of you giving it to the boys. I haven't put a Richie McCall shot in there, though, but we might talk about that later. <laughs> How you been? Mate, well, going well. Enjoying uh, retirement away from refereeing and uh, spending time with the family, which is uh, which is really important, and uh, and just in, enjoying uh, actually owning a weekend. So for the first <laughs> time in be thirty years, I, yeah. I would imagine something like that of actually being able to say somebody says, "What are you doing in August or September?" Whatever we like. Yeah, so, that's uh, great. Which is yeah. great. I'd love to get a weekend off, but it's still not happening for me, mate. So it's good to see you um, uh, doing well too in the corporate sector. Quickly, what are you up to these days? Yeah, working with a, an organisation called JMJ Associates. So uh, I'm the marketing and sales manager for our Australia East Coast business. And uh, so we're, we're a global organisation and really working around high performance. So uh, it's with uh, leaders and organisations around uh, creating, uh, helping them, support mm. them in creating uh, high performance organisations around leadership, safety, culture, change management. And uh, uh, and it's a really good um, you know, segue from from refereeing and, and, and high performance sport in, into this organisation. So great people um, doing lots of lots of great work around the world. And Stu, you've been all over the world, and that's the great thing about the game. Uh, we had a, an epic uh, Heineken Cup final of the weekend, and you know when we talk on this show about games here and in Europe, there are style changes, and I guess it doesn't impact anyone more than a referee because you grew up in Australia, you obviously like the fast, hard surfaces, and then quite often you're called to referee in Europe where, where games can be, and I don't think, and we've just talked about this before, it's not necessarily that they want to play a certain style that is limited to just heavy ruck play and a lot of scrummaging, is that the weather plays a massive part. So you've had to uh, go through all that different type of... Uh, refereeing scenarios and uh you know i guess a lot of it was away from home you know rarely did you i guess in a test environment ever obviously referee australia that just doesn't happen no look uh, it was and you'd probably spend you know four plus months of the year away at least so i think we worked out in over my career i'd probably spend about you know four or five years 
away from home, uh, but that's life, you apply your trade. I guess I was lucky enough with the uh, referee, the Wallabies, once when they played the Barbarians out here, and then uh, was lucky enough to, to referee uh, in the 2003 World Cup at home, so you do spend that time over there, and there's the point you made around um, the difference in in conditions. Certainly over the years that's that's changed because you, you've got, uh, whilst the conditions remain the same in terms of rain or hail or sleet, whatever it may have been, the, the grounds they're playing on are so much better now. And uh, and of course, you know, the from the teams themselves, obviously people want to be a bit more expansive and uh, and everything else there. So, so it's been, you know, re- really good to see that change inside of things. And then obviously the games we've seen with, with uh, Heineken Cup and... Uh, and and uh, and the premiership as well. Um, you've sort of got a bit of a, a difference in some games, but but the the crowds, the you know, because of proximity, people mm. can travel, and and so they they get that real tribalism about them, and uh, and it's and it's brilliant. So I think you know, well done to uh, to to Drew Mitchell and Matty Giddo for for a win there, and and the other one is to to pay tribute to a guy like Johnny Wilkinson after yeah. such a great career. I know he's got one more game this week. Um, but you know what a gentleman off the field, and I was lucky enough to referee him a, a number of times. So you know to to see him in his heyday as well was uh, was quite amazing. What uh, what were the what are one of the two of the standout moments with Johnny Wilkinson for you? Oh, oh there's probably a with couple the, with, with the whistle though. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I and mean, what was he like to deal with? Yeah, look, terrific. Just a, a great competitor, and didn't say too much on the field. Uh, but I, I think. One of the games I did in France, I think it was 2000, so it was France, uh, England, a Six Nations game, and it was and England actually beat them there that time. And Johnny Wilkinson absolutely smashed um, Emil Entomac at half time, and really sort of turned the the tide of the game for them. And uh, and it was funny talking to them afterwards, and then Clive Woodward as well, as he'd come down and he was trying to address the troops for that 10 minutes, and all these blokes are just hooting and hollering and <laughs> saying great hit and all those sort of things because he could hit, could tackle the boy. No wonder he's got sore shoulders. Yeah, so, no. Uh, just amazing. Great, great defender, uh, Stu. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I guess in, in your long career, you've seen a lot of change in the game, and one of the recent changes has been the TMO. Firstly, your thoughts on how it is going, and secondly, I'm asked about some specific events. But the TMO has it evolved to a stage where we're going forward or backwards? Well, it's interesting. I mean, with us starting in that professional era, we were at the um, at the the vanguard of change with that, actually creating the whole protocol and and so on. So, so we've gone from a situation where you had limited use. To then uh, uh, to actually uh, having a wider power and still staying within the end goal to then being able to now come outside and make some decisions outside there and like any of those things the I guess as the games flowed and, and grown people want to get the right decisions all the time but like anything you do there's there's pros and cons with that uh, and I think some of those teething changes um, they're probably seeing as a result of that. Well, what do you think about going back two phases? If the phases are very quick, oh, that's not a problem, but going back further and further in the game, I think does slow the game down. Mm. And I sort of laugh when people say, 
the t- that the third umpire or the video <laughs> when they go upstairs in cricket that it slows a game down. I mean, cricket goes for five days and test cricket, so <laughs> I don't think that's that incredibly um, uh, a dire situation for cricket. But in rugby, I, I was very frustrated that I found that um, I, I thought some of the referees were going overly cautious and going upstairs, and I think that hurts the game. I've got a thing to say about foul play, but uh, your thoughts on going back further and further in the in the play, leading up to a trial. Yeah. Well, look, there's a there's a number of things that come into the mix inside of all of that. I mean, we spoke originally uh, around going back, and then they talked about two phases, and then we spoke about that try the Wallaby scored that that Matt Burke uh, was the eventual scorer after yeah. about seventeen or eighteen phases. So if you go back two, well, was there a knock-on at the third phase? And so you throw that into the mix. And then the other part is, at the end of the day, you're looking at who, why do you want to do it? What, what are you trying to achieve? Who's, who's actually making those decisions? Uh, from a, is it a, what, what a are you trying point to achieve? achieve? Are you trying to, you're never going to get everything right, but what no. are you, what, what's the ultimate goal? So the ultimate goal, really, at the end of the time, is, is to make the right decision. Uh, and, and because our game is so fluid, then the, the other part is it's not like, say, rugby league where you say, right, we're going back one tackle to yeah, a definitive yeah, point. Yeah. Ours is, how do you, what do you look at? And, mm. and so it became that, that one around, you know, when they're about to throw the ball into, you know, a guy's running for the corner and he just puts a foot into touch and then throws the ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we all know what the right scenario is, mm. but how do you put that into words? Mm. Is it the is it the one pass behind that, or the you know the the next phase, or that that last phase as they're going over the line, you know? So mm. it it that that becomes a, a decision for all those stakeholders to make, and and the one thing you can't do is leave somebody holding the can. Yeah, absolutely, because everyone at home pretty much can see what the TMO sees. So there's a judgment being made, not just in that box but all over the world. What do you think about the referee on the ground looking at the big screen? I mean, is that a good thing? Well, you know, again, it depends on the technology. You know, I've heard some stories of the guys talking about some screens you can see really well and yeah. some you can't. Mm. So, so the, first, the first question is who has the ultimate accountability and responsibility mm. in making that decision? Uh, and, if, and if it is the referee, then if I was making any decision about anything, I want to be pretty clear and have a clear picture of it. And if, if I haven't got a clear picture because the screen's not right, then you want to have that trust element of working with that person upstairs in the TMO box to then get that clarity of decision. Mm. Uh, and I think one of the other big things is, and you made the point originally, around are they going upstairs too much, relying on it, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things happened when we, when we first started to bring this in, and I had a, a chat with Daryl Hare when he was umpiring the cricket, and he made a really good point uh, around not losing the art of decision making, and and I think that's what happens at times. I think you've seen that with the league guys now, where they'll just go in and it's just here, just have a look at everything and tell me what happened, and that's got to permeate out to the next eighty minutes mm. inside of your decision making, because you're not actually getting on the spot to make the decision. You're using it as a first tool of reference rather than I'll have it as a backup, and that yeah. becomes a different mind shift. It does. Um, I, I think. A couple of weeks ago, we had the scenario where foul play was picked up in the last couple of seconds, and if you hadn't seen it, obviously the Reds game, uh, the decision ended up uh, with a penalty to the Rebels, and they won the game right on the bell. Now, a lot of people said they didn't want a game decided by uh, a refereeing decision, uh, which I sort of uh, said on Twitter, 
well, it wasn't a refereeing decision. It was the fact that a player was accused of um, eye gouging or putting hands near the eyes, and the, the TMO brought the game back. Steve Walsh was the referee. Walsh, to me, didn't want to make the call, but he was dead set put into a situation where you had to say it was a red card offence. Hands were near the eyes. And the IOB, as you know, said about 09, enough is enough. Anyone who has hands near the eyes is going to be pinged. Did Steve uh, make the right decision in the TMO box that night? Yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, the, the, the first point you made is, is the correct one. They say we don't want a referee ruining the game. Well, the first point is let's stop going down that track. If the player didn't do what he did, you wouldn't have to make that mm. decision. So because, that's the first yeah, case yeah. in point. The second part is safety and welfare of players is paramount. Forget about the laws of the game. The first thing when you go out there is safety of the players. From our point of view as referees, a former referee, um, and then from the point of view of each player looking after each other. So hence that thing around tip tackles and all those sort of things. So so the first point is there really around the fact of, yeah, he made connection with the face uh, and you've got a short amount of time to see it irrespective of the replays. And at the end of the day, the correct decision was made. He was in and around the face there. Now, that's the decision that's made on the field and, and it's backed up by the IRB and everybody else around that's the correct decision. So... That's all it is. You're charged and put before the court. It's then up to the court mm. to bring in all the other things they need to do about character and other angles, etc., etc., etc. The referees or the TMA don't have that at that, uh, or you know, don't don't have as much time. They get different angles, of course, but don't have the days, weeks, hours to to make that that call. But you know, the bottom line is the correct call was made around the player being sent off. And of course, subsequently, the uh, Sanzar Tribunal, the judiciary, uh, cleared Edo Donahue. Uh, of eye gouging and uh, was free to play uh, after that. So, uh, but I and think sorry, just a, just a point yeah. with that on there as well is that that he was cleared to play and then the evidence that came out afterwards that the the the, the player um, who was the you know victim in that yeah. case uh, actually gave a, a strong statement in support of him. So so therefore saying this hadn't you know whatever hadn't hadn't occurred the eye gouge, you know, he didn't actually get him yeah. in the eye, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's fine, and that's what that judicial system is for. But on the field, um, you know, the, the the player in question didn't walk up to the referee and say, no, everything's okay, yeah. didn't give him any other information. So therefore, the decision that, that that's made is, is correct. And, and if people have a take away the emotion out of it, um, because people are emotional, their team's lost, or it's, you know, the referee made the wrong call, whatever, mm. that's another thing aside. The actual decision making and the process is what you want to look at. Was the decision correct? Was the process correct? It was, okay. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, we've got to be clear here. He was uh, subsequently cleared, but at the time, it's such a dramatic piece of potential foul play that you have to act. And I, I agree with the decision of the day. There was an earlier incident too that day in the Crusaders game um, that involved a, a stamping uh, incident. Uh, with one of the South African players, and uh, it was picked up as well, and that was a red card. So uh, I don't have a problem with the uh, foul play being stamped upon, to use a pun, uh, at that moment. To me, I think uh, it deals with it straight away. Yeah. Well, foul play is another issue. Forget about it being a try scoring or anything else. Foul play is foul play. And and at the end of the day, if you've... with with anything inside of the game or you know anywhere is around leadership and so somebody's got to make a stand for that so what does the leadership sans are irb what do they actually want to do and if they want to eradicate foul play 
then make a stand. And the one thing that seems to be missing a lot of the time is that, and we used to have it all the time when we go to the Sanzar meetings, was there'd be players, coaches, everybody inside of their administrators and say, listen, we've got a problem with this, this, this and this. You blokes go and fix it. Well, that's great. Terrific. What about you guys? What are you going to do? Mm. So I'm not sure I haven't seen the press afterwards, but has Sanzar or somebody come out and say, the referees, the TMO, our process, our systems actually made the correct decision. Stop talking, stop whinging, stop whining. Mm. That's it. And that's where it, that's where the leadership comes from. Yeah, I think they should be given a rap. I, I mean, I gave a rap, but it's not up to me. I think, yes, the uh, organisation should come out and really um, back their referees in, in this regard. Uh, so with the Team O then, uh, what's the future of it? Because in the National Rugby League in Australia, they have empowered the referees to make a decision and then it's up to the TMO or the video referee to come up with compelling evidence to overturn a decision. Now, they, they, they actually took their um, uh, lead from another of other sports in that decision-making. Uh, do you think rugby's TMO is going to evolve further? Will we still have it? We saw in the NFL where they went back and forwards and all that sort of stuff. Uh, where do you see it going in, down the track? Well, I think the first thing is it's got to be a combined decision from the four pillars of the game, which is, actually you'd probably say a fifth there if you mm. want to include the fans if they want to get inside of that, which is what I understand they're doing with the National Rugby Championship. But you've got players, coaches, administrators, referees um, that need to sit down and work out, right, what are we going to do? Then you have an alignment. You know, it's just a simple, really, it's a high-performance process. You then get alignment on what you're going to do then come out and work with that process. And and then people will, there'll be flack around it. It's a bit like when they had in Queensland a couple of years ago, they had an unfortunate incident with a guy that got hit um, and passed away. And so Queensland just said, right, one punch, everything's a red card. They had 50 at the judiciary, then they had 40, then they had 30, then they had 20, then they had 10. It's because people actually made a stand and said, you can't do it, that's the way it is. So from the terms of the TMO, work out what you want to actually do with it. Uh, and then stand by those decisions. For the future of it, for, for me, I think the first, one of the most important things is it's got to be a tool that is a supporting tool, not at the forefront. Because at the end of the day, you know, you might as well just have robots out there. The players will make mistakes. They do. You have 20 scrums in a game because people drop the ball. Referees will make mistakes. Absolutely. We've all made them. Um, we'll make ones that are this big and then we'll make ones that are this big uh, because we're all human. And that's the excitement of sport. So at the end of the day, you've got to be prepared to have that inside of the game uh, and then work within some parameters that say, well, let's get the best best decision available um, given the circumstances. It's impossible and impractical to go back 20 phases. Yeah. So sort out what are the, what are the, what are the most important issues to you. Foul plays one. Go back to wherever you need to go. You'll see it um, at that time. Then the other is about the act of scoring the try. Get, get that right. Uh, in terms of that uh, and and what are those decisions you need there and then have those referees um, making those decisions. One problem I have is the forward pass. I, I just don't think uh, there's an adequate... Um, the, the TMO can adequately judge on that. I mean, that to me uh, requires a lot of physics and grid marking to make sure that you get this right. So I think... Um, I reckon that should go through to the keeper. 
full prices. Yeah, look, I think the other thing is about it when Barry Honan made a video a number of years ago that actually had some lines on the field over five metres. Mm. I think it's on YouTube. Look it up. <laughs> Barry Honan, YouTube, forward pass. And when you actually look, it's actually a parallelogram because yeah. you've got the, the two people running, one pass in there, one pass in there, mm. and away they go. Yes. And and so when you actually plot, plot the ball, when he passes it here, the guy actually catches it in front because mm. of the movement. Yeah. Same as if you throw something out of a, a car as you're driving along, mm. where you've thrown it from, it'll actually land forward, but mm. you've thrown it backwards. Well, it's so. amplified too. If the passer of the ball is hitting the tackle and Correct. goes backwards, and looks Correct. like, whoa, it's got a mile forward. So, and, and, it's a, and it's a thing around the law is that as long as you pass the ball backwards, it doesn't matter where it goes mm. after that. So you can have a strong wind and you'll have things where it actually goes backwards out of the hands and then shoots across and goes forward. That's life. It's it's play on. So, uh, uh, so I mean, if you if you can get something that shows the hands, that that's great. Uh, and, and I guess like anything in the refereeing side of things, it's around the clear and obvious. Mm. So if it's not clear and obvious, um, play on. And, and one of the other points I just wanted to make around that that TMO moving forward as well is there was a number of years ago, a couple of us had a chat. So it was myself and Alan Lewis and Jonathan Kaplan and talking around. Uh, it was probably back about 2007, and saying, well, why wouldn't you have a captain's challenge? Um, because we talk about it, and rightfully so, being the player's game, and mm. let the players decide the game. Um, there's an opportunity there to bring that, that side of things in, that if 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 you look at the uh, that quarterfinal uh, with France and New Zealand in 2007, uh, you know, guys missed it the laws of the day said well bad luck it's gone if you had a captain's challenge and and you know with players Mm. when there's a lot of there's a lot of bs that goes on in terms of postulating of this that and the other but but when something serious happens be it foul play or something in the game that's not quite right you know the body language is right the the you know it's genuine it's authentic and so something like that if you had a couple of challenges per half for a team Mm. then why not because you as i said everyone's human you miss you do miss things yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, speaking of the Kiwis, uh, how did you get on with the legend, Richie McCall, <laughs> <laughs> who uh, Australians always think is offside all the time? Oh, jeez. Uh, well, Sorry, the, Kiwis. Got the uh, the dubious honour of having binned him a couple of times. Uh, yeah, look, I'm not sure I was his favourite referee, uh, uh, but that's okay. Well, um, well, well how, did, um, how did you get on with him after the game? No, good, always courteous. Look, he's a... He's a he's a terrific individual, great great bloke, um, amazing leader of, of men, uh, and look, his record speaks for itself in what he's been able to do. I mean, you have a look at him having a break, coming back from injury, and then just you know playing like a man possessed. So he, he's he's an incredible individual um, for his achievements and everything else, and a superb and a great rugby player. Will go down as one of the greats in mm. in the game. So uh, you know, I have nothing but but admiration and respect for him. Uh, as an individual and and as as a player, yep. Would we have had points of difference? Absolutely. Did I get some wrong? Absolutely. Did he get some wrong? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, that that's life. That happens. And uh, as I said, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough of him um, as a as a player and uh, and as an individual. An open side flanker basically is going to push it to the limit all the time, isn't he? Of course. And so so he's there's going to be some uh, damage in terms of uh, penalties. Has to be. Yeah, of course. And as I said, the, the thing is where he would have got some wrong where he stepped over, I would have got some wrong where I thought he'd done something and like any player. Uh, and and so that's life, that that, that happens. Uh, and then the only thing is you hope that, uh, you know, it's a bit like 
anything there. You put a stick in the sand to say no, we're not we're not going there, and and hopefully they uh, they take the mark there, and uh, that it's not you know an intentional and continuous negative tactic. The coaches always do their homework on the referees and uh, what their tendencies uh, happen to be. Did you do your homework on the players? Uh, look, I must say you you had a general idea of who was who, but I, I would always, I didn't go, some guys went to real nth degree and I never did because I always thought that it was it was important just to judge what was out there. Mm. Sure, yeah, you can have isn't a, that isn't that sort of taking a bias into the game? Uh, of course, and, and 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 if it wasn't at the forefront, it's got to be in the back of your mind there somewhere. Mm. And look, psychologists probably tell us that if you've been with a certain person all the time, that that certain things would happen. You may be swayed in a decision. So for me, it was always important around going and and practicing the skills about what you see that's in front of you, rather than what you think you see. Uh, and look, we said we're all fallible, we're all human. Did we get it right all the time? Did I get it right? Probably not. Um, definitely not. Not probably not. Definitely not on occasions. Um, but for me, it was. For, for me, the main thing was was a safe environment for the players. And I would always say to the teams before the game, you know, I'll sort out whether it's a fair fight, then you sort out whether it's even or not. Because I would rather them play and have the skills, um, and and win that contest fairly than to have these negative tactics because um, there's nothing more frustrating in a, in a contest where people are just negative where they've given up the ghost. Right, we're not going to be able to compete, so all we're going to do is just be negative and slow it down. And I can't believe any player in the world would, would, would really want to play that way um, you know, for a long period of time. I don't think you get any satisfaction. Mm. Stu, at the core of the game is, I think, the continuity, and we all love rugby to be continuous and play with that sort of spirit especially in the southern hemisphere and again i'll say in the north that that's there's no difference there it's just conditions can change that uh in my younger days i was a um, state touch referee and I, you know you'd see you're actually a fan of the game as well and you see play unfold you do you go well well done um but occasionally yeah in the mind i used to think oh jeez if I let this go, this is a great try, but I just can't do it because it was forward, it was marginal, but it was a forward pass, and you have to, you have to blow the whistle and cop a caning from the punters out there and and the team and, and the fans. So, do you have those moments? I mean, do you do you go, oh, geez, I, geez, that'd be a great try, let it go, but I've got a pingy. Mm. Oh, look, absolutely. So, so the because the... you like you said, you're not a robot. So, <clears throat> well, the 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 role that I was doing, um, that as a professional you're being paid for, as an amateur I wasn't, uh, still love the game, uh, is is about being a decision maker. There's nowhere in the description where it says you have to be a popular decision maker. <laughs> and so the end of the day is, if it's a forward pass, if it's un, it, it's a forward pass. That's the bottom line mm-hmm. if you've seen it. Uh, it might be fair and say, geez, that would be wonderful and let that go, but it's pretty upsetting for the other 15 blokes that have worked their their butt off to exactly. uh, actually stop it down the other end. So, and then the reverse of that is obviously when you do get it right and play the advantage or you know whatever else, and 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 the players get it through and then go and score. There's no better feeling than just saying you know great, I, I helped create some space in that and awareness of the game mm. and, and away the players went and did what they did. So, see to me this is at the core of refereeing because. Uh, I, nothing riles me more, and I'm sure this does to you, but I'm going to go out and say it hard, <laughs> is that people accusing referees of being biased uh, against other teams. Uh, I mean, I've never met a referee, because referees just like 
I mean, there's something about being there in control of the game, but doing it for the right reasons. But referees, they're not biased. And I just, it's a real easy go-to for a lot of fans mm. to say, oh, well, you know, Stu hates us in South Africa or, or Jonathan Kaplan hates, hates the Waratahs, you know, that sort of stuff. You know, uh, in the end, decisions pile up against you. Sure, they're humans, but they've got to call what's in front of them. And the temptation to then uh, let the play go a bit to to become liked liked must be enormous as well. But in the end, I guess you've got to be hated by everyone. <laughs> well, yeah, look, the, unfortunately or unfortunately, that comes comes with the territory. I think the, uh, the the biggest thing there is, as I said, it's it's about decision making, not popular decision making. Um, you got you've got to develop that thick skin early, mm. haven't you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, look, you've got people are passionate, so there's emotions. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, it's it's easy to go out and blame. Uh, and so Not and just players, there's not just fans, there are coaches oh, and players. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, so there's a couple of different marks. I mean, it's easy for people to blame a referee because man, anyone can do easy. Uh, mm. But it takes a lot of courage for, for teams to actually stop and have a good look and say, Geez, what did we contribute to that? Mm. Uh, and then the other thing is the reality of, of all of that is is pretty simple. Um, coaches have got to get on with their players, so it's pretty rare you hear a coach at the end of the day, uh, at the end of a game or during the week to actually lambast one of his players and say, this bloke was hopeless, what a terrible decision and all those sort of things because all they do is dig their own grave within the players. Um, from a public point of view, but I can assure you the uh, the really good teams, the the high performing teams, are the ones that have those truth sessions afterwards and, and keep it keep it indoors. Uh, and realistically, the the thing is, if you want a bit like the old political spin, where do you want to focus the attention to? Not on my team and how poorly we did. He will just drop a bomb over there, and uh, people can talk about the refereeing. And that way, as players, as teams, we can get on and adjust what we needed to do. So that's life. Um, as I said. It comes with the territory. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that it then permeates down into the amateur ranks. So that's probably the saddest thing to see, where teams and players, are, you know, abusing the uh, um, the volunteers. So I think that's an important thing to say: is just leave the volunteers alone, because without them, as coaches, players, canteen managers, putting the ropes up, putting the pads on, refereeing a game, kids wouldn't have a game. So uh, you know, there's some things just to be left alone. Yeah, I'm sure if you've been anyone out there who's how to go at the referee in front of the kids and use foul language. You know, you really need to have another look at yourself because it's not the sort of standard you want to set because these guys are doing it uh, quite often and you, you started out in the amateur days uh, mm. for no other reason than to for the love of the game. And this, the, the, yeah. So the other thing I would say to that is as well, just put a bit of a challenge there for, for people that do continually criticise and think they can do a better job, then go and have a go. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, pick up um, a whistle. Pick up a whistle and go down. I remember when Gordon Bray, um, our great rugby commentator yeah, yeah. here, is a, is a referee and he did his uh, badge just after I did because he was involved in the game and commentating and said, I want to get a bit better experience yeah. um, and actually did it. And Greg Martin's done that as well mm. up in Queensland. Mm. So, you know, what I would say is... Uh, get on board and have a go and uh, see just how easy it is to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess uh, in this uh, fluidity of the game, it's also about um, not being 
you know, getting a, a slide rule out and saying, well, I think he's that a millimetre in front of the line. He's got to be offside, that sort of stuff. So you've got to, I think, use um, a basically, a, you know, a really rough sort of thumb. Yeah, he's offside. Otherwise, uh, it becomes bogged down. And I think they're the sort of referees who probably legitimately... Uh, need to be hauled in to say, come on, you, you're actually going so far. The game is played between humans on a footy field that's roughly marked. You, you can't um, break it down to that fine detail because you're ruining the game. Yeah. Uh, look, that's the, um, I guess that's the, 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 the challenge as you, as you start. It, there's, there's the letter of the law and then there's the spirit of the law and the spirit of the game. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to do is find that, that balance. And sometimes... You know, two wrongs do make a right in, in terms of quick succession where somebody might be offside and something happens, yeah, play on, they cancel each other out. And a lot of that comes down to experience. I mean, I know when I first started and you look back on games that you did and you think, God, love us, how do I even get another game? <laughs> uh, because, you know, it's just that experience you have and that feel for the game uh, and it's just, it's learning that. And then the other part is that, that it becomes, as I said, it, it's really, a you know, the, the four pillars working together, which is coaches, administrators, players and referees. You know, if a referee says that's the offside line, mm. then then that's where it is. Yeah. Take an extra step, have have the respect for the game, and the other part around that is that that you know a lot of the things. If you talk about Sanzo at the moment, then obviously at IRB as well, there's a there's a, a playing charter or um, you know the way the game is to be played and refereed, and and players, coaches, administrators have all had a say in that. So at the end of the day, if if the group has said. We don't want blokes lying around in the tackle. We don't want guys being picked up and dropped on their head. Then, you know, get alignment with that and actually be a part of it. And mm-hmm. coaches, commentators as well at the end of the day, get on board with it as well and say, listen, that's not acceptable in the game. So stop, you know, referees will make mistakes, absolutely. But a lot of the times you, you see and hear where people just blame the referee. Oh, my God, you know, and the old classic is, blowing too many penalties I wish they put the whistle away to the reverse of that is I wish they'd actually do something about this mm. um, so there's that fine line and that middle bit in between do players and referees get it right all the time no but when they do geez it's a good game yeah, absolutely I mean do you agree with um, sometimes Bob Dwyer has told me that uh, he, he used to yell out from the grandstand a fair bit um, but you can have games with a lot of penalties early that actually become a, a very um, entertaining Spectacle uh, because you've you've laid the law down now, Stu. This is the number one beef I have with referees: is going to the pocket and threatening for seventy five minutes <laughs> that I'm going to take further action. I'm going to take further action, and then it's about seventy nine minutes they pull out a red or yellow card. I don't think that's good enough. You've you you can't keep threatening. You've got to say oh, I reckon they should just pull the card out. Forget the warning. Bang, you're gone. Forget these warnings, Stu. I don't. I don't they know what an offside thing, rule is, what foul play is, just pull it out and go. And then you have set the tone of the game. You're not to be messed with, and they will play by the rules, and I reckon you'll have a better go. There you go. Good. So, so <laughs> I agree with you around that part of the 79th minute because then you've wasted time. Yeah. The team's already, it doesn't matter. You know, um, But there's, there's two parts of that, and this misnomer that I always have around that of the referee set the tone of the game. We continually talk about it's a player's game. Mm. They all know what the offside law mm. is. They all know what what they should but be I doing. But I think you can set the tone but if you let them get away with correct. it. Correct. And so so the point out of that is um, refereeing is, is is people management, leadership, and it's and, and that, that leadership 101 mm. is about transferring pressure. So at the end of the day, that fellow that's given the card at the 79th mm. minute, who's under pressure? He is. 
So the point is, is getting that balance right in terms of talking to the players, having that message at the start and that alignment around this is what's expected, this is what's not expected in the game and setting it up before the game starts. Having the chat with the captains, what do you want to see today? Let them tell you, oh, mate, they've got to stay on side, let's get blokes here, blah, blah. Terrific, great, we've got that established. So when you go out on the field, their team does it. Mate, I thought we had a, an agreement about this. And so that it, it, it's got to be the three-way um, agreement and alignment with those teams. And yes, then the referee has to enforce that because like anyone, and it's people in contest and in conflict, they're going to take it to the line. So you've got to put a stick in the sand earlier rather than later and say, we agreed on this, this is no good, and then transfer that pressure back. And, and there's two parts as well with those yellow cards. You can give it first up, and I've done that in games because it's cynical, it's deliberate, it's stopped it. You don't need three warnings over that. See you later, gone, bang. Uh, and straight away when you're actually making those decisions, why are you making it? Because you're putting the pressure back on the teams. Mm. The game doesn't deserve this. It's not fair for the other team. They were doing the right thing. You've killed the game. See you later. Off you go. And and then you'll find those games then do open up because the players say, right, check one, can't do that, can't do that, can't yeah. do that. Okay, let's get on and play. Yeah, number one beef. Uh, I know you're fired up. Don't bang the desk, though, Stu, because uh-huh. it'll, it'll deafen our listeners. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's my number one beef, and I just... You know, I just like to see referees that, you know, when they're assessed, they need to be brought to heel. You've got to be able to back up your statements immediately because they're breaking the laws of the game early. And if they get away with it, they will keep pushing it, keep pushing it. Then the other side says, okay, he can do it, then I'm going to do it. And I reckon you just get a free-for-all. So you're not getting consistent games. And the other thing is, aren't we looking for an end goal here, Stu, of very similar games like we shouldn't have to do analysis on each referee so he's going to let this go he might uh, give us a red card in the first minute he won't give us a red card until the end or he might be slacking offside aren't we trying to get the same sort of game every day every time we play the game rather than just on on analysis of what referee will let go no look at the end of the day i think what you're trying to do is when, when you've got the ball you can do three things you can you can run you can pass, you can kick. Hmm. And then the object is take it 100 metres down the other end and put it over the white line. Hmm. Now, there's a wonderful number of ways to be able to do that and play it. Uh, and so the the end result is that it's up to it, it's up to the players of, of, of how they want to play it. Referees, referee the game, determine, uh, the, the players will determine how the referee referees it. Hmm. So if you go out and it's a nice sunshiny day and everything else and the ball's available and players want to play, great. Uh, if they've come out, they've got the attitude they don't want to play, and it's an arm wrestle, and you've got to get in and make every decision, then then the players have determined that as well. When you come back to the referee, then it's all around that experience and how you go. Richie McCaw started off and was a, a good player when he started, and he's a great player now. We used him as an example before. So you, do you want every number seven to play like he does, or do you want every number seven to be like Israel Folau? It takes time and skill to be that good and certainly in teams that's why you have you know there's not the number one team all the all the time around the world mm. I mean the All Blacks are, are great and have that winning record but you know they haven't won haven't won every World Cup have they yeah. so um, and you know there's, there's been different winners there so it's really around the opportunity for players to, to play and, and how they want to do and then referees to get inside of that uh, and again they're going to make mistakes the same as players are and you know I was a far better referee when I finished than I was when I started because I've got X number of games and experience. Mistakes, I think, uh, 
by the referee on the field are one thing, but mistakes by the TMO I think are regarded as unacceptable because you, you're looking at something that everyone can see, hopefully in high definition, and you should be making the right decision. Now, I know the decisions where the ball's been grounded underneath a massive bodies is much more difficult. However, um, I think you should go back to the old days, mate. Like, if it's under there, it's got to be a try. <laughs> I mean, Well, that, that hasn't changed because yeah, that's one of the reasons be. we brought these two yeah. questions in were for exactly that out of the amateur days. The first one was, um, you, know, any re- um, you know, try, no try, yeah. because I've got no idea. Yeah. I can't see where the ball is. I, I don't know. The other one is, any reason why I can't award the try for that exact scenario? And I can tell you, and all the other referees around the world, um, that in plenty of games, I've awarded tries where I never saw the ball grounded, but they've taken it in and marched this thing in a, mm. in a, in a uh, mall you know, 15, Which 20 metres, the, the thing rugby. was at yeah. the back, yeah. and bang, down they went, and somebody may have got an arm under there, but but the ethos of the game um, and the understanding and respect was the players that scored were happy. Mm. The team that didn't score knows that at the other end they'll get exactly the yeah. same treatment because, you know, realistically the game says and the players say there's a covenant around that that, yeah, Listen, we're pretty sure they scored that. We're happy to concede it. Mm. So and so that that's remained that's remained the same. Any more technology you'd like to see in the game uh, for the referees? Um, do you want to see a set? I've always said uh, a second referee would be interesting, but I think what you need though is I think you need to make sure that uh, offside lines absolutely police so you can concentrate on the ruck. I mean, how do you see? Do you need more help out there? No, I think you you can't you you can't have two people running the game. Uh, okay, but, so, but what about ruck offside? I mean, you can't see it at all. You can't see it all. No, and same with every coach. Mate, they've mm. got this great game plan. The, the game plans the two coaches have, they should win 100 nil mm. each game because there mm. won't be any defenders there, everything they've practised, and that's that's the mm. sporting thing. Uh, at the end of the day, if, 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 the administ- if there's such a problem with the game, if the administrators really want to tackle it, uh, and change behaviours, then you've got you've got the laws of the game, you've got the ethos of the game. Mm. Um, if if teams or individual players are, are, are consistently contracting outside the laws of the game, then the administrators have the power to then be able to say something as simple as we're reviewing each game. If we see your player um, as continually being offside or flouting the laws of the game, after you know, they've got it now after three red card, yellow cards mm. or something, you know, that, that uh, you get an automatic suspension. You you can bring in things like that from the power of, of, of the administrators to actually send a message saying we wanted to clean up the game. Mm. So therefore, if you get three yellow cards and they're undisputed, they are, you know, the, the, uh, in, in the in the UK, you can you can go, you can challenge those yellow cards, and, and it, but if it's found that it's still correct, so if you had the situation where you had three yellow cards, you may well say, by the way, that's an, that's an automatic four-week suspension, mm. something as radical as that. So it just depends on the stand that the organisers, the leaders inside the game want to make to make the game better. It's all well and good for them to say, oh, you know, they're offside, there's this, there, the other, we'll blame the referee. But then you continue to have that same discussion week in, week in, year out, year out. What changes do you want? What are you prepared to do inside of the game? to make those changes and, and to change the attitudes of players, coaches, um, fans to make the game better. And mm. and there, and sometimes it may be a radical approach, but realistically, if, if you're doing it for the right reasons and it's an authentic change, people will accept it. My philosophy is uh, that uh, I would 
I, I find it hard to remember, but I, I pretty much owned up to any mistake I made on the field or that uh, crept into uh, an error that would mean that uh, I was getting away with something. So I believe in cricket you should walk if you nick the ball. And I also believe if you're in the footy field, uh, if you knock it on, you own up. And I know that sounds ridiculous in this competitive nature that we live in, but you know, essentially if you're not doing that, you're cheating because you're, you're not playing by the rules. Yes, you might get away with it, but you're not playing by the rules. And I think that's a fact, you can't get around it. I, uh, I know that's in this competitive world is um, trying to live in utopia, but I think that's a great message to send to your kids. If they're playing and they knock it on, they should own up uh, because it might set their uh, life on the right path on other things away from the field and it's a good way to live. Now, you might do things that are accidental that you can pick up as a referee, but I believe a player uh, should, um, should push uh, the game to the limit but shouldn't go over the edge where they break the rules. Steve Walsh was on this show a couple of years ago and he said that he had no problem with players pushing it to the ed edge. Now, so that'd be like flankers at particular, like your Richies, your Phil Wars, etc. you know, going to the edge and over it. So breaking the rules and getting an advantage. To me personally, I don't see, get any satisfaction about breaking the rules and winning. And I think it comes down to that. Uh, would you like to see players take more ownership when they, uh, in fact, uh, breach the rules? Uh, look, I, I agree with players taking it to the edge, absolutely, because that's only how you get better. You, you and and really, you're going to test people. Because I mean, the end the end result is um, you've got a referee there to make decisions, absolutely. And and if uh, and you've got other players there as well, they're going to test them mentally, physically. Um, so so there's no issue with that. Uh, but but realistically, um, it it then just becomes if if they're not picked up, um, then a that referee there's a, there's a there's a diligent process in place there now where they get feedback from a person that's there coaching them, and then you've obviously got the other two team coaches as well having a look. And so by and large, you know they usually get those sort of decisions right in terms of how well someone's gone, mm -hmm. have another game next week, or go away and work on this area. So. You know, realistically, I don't, I don't see that's an issue. Um, I think we're probably lucky in terms of the sportsmanship with rugby. I mean, we had a path back in ninety in two thousand and seven where there was a lot of you know arm waving and gesticulating, a bit like the, heading down the soccer path. And the IOB actually stood up and said, "We're not going down that way of soccer. We will respect the match officials, and you will stop this behaviour." So, I think that's the great thing for rugby, and we've still maintained that ethos. Uh, so, you know, like anything there, I think if you have an opportunity, people will take it, but then it's, it's just up to those roles, the people, people doing what they're meant to do. Um, and, and the last point on that then is, if, if you do go over the edge, it's a bit like, you know, someone committing a crime and then getting upset at the judicial system because, you know, it's their fault because mm -hmm. now they've got two years in jail or whatever else. Hey, that's life. If you're going to take a risk versus a calculated, you know, um, risk at the end of the day, if you're caught, well, then you've got to do the crime. That's exactly. The, that's the bottom line. Exactly. Don't whinge about it. If mm. you're uh, offside of the ruck and you get pinged, then tough luck. You know, mm. you've, you've gone to the edge. And I think there is a difference philosophically about going to the edge and going over it and expecting mm. to get away with it all the time. Correct. And if you, if you, have, been, if you have been picked up, mm. then take the message. Because mm. that's all the referee can do at the end of the, the game. You know, you can't control people. You can only seek their cooperation. Mm. So at the end of the time, what I would do on a field is, yeah, you talk to a player once and say, come on, hey, listen, get on side. 
and they don't do it, yep. then you can go back and talk to him in front of the captain. Hey, listen, I had a chat with him on our own. Mm. Now I'm bringing you in to have a have a discussion with him. This is this is not acceptable for the game. These actions aren't helping the game. Whatever words you choose to use, then you can hope that that group then go away yeah. and say, fair enough, let's get on with it. And and the good teams and, and the great games are those where players just come to play and they heed the message and off they go. Stu was uh, poking around just trying to uh, get a couple of uh, lines on you the other day and there was actually a Facebook page dedicated oh, to bagging right. you. It was right. pretty ordinary anyway. But, I mean, yeah, so you've got to wonder about people who do that sort of stuff. Um, uh, once again, going to the core, the reason why you do the game... I mean, how did you deal with the abuse, and uh, did it get so bad that you wanted to throw it all in? No, never, never throw it in. I mean, what were some of the worst things uh, that uh, were said about you? I mean, obviously with the swearing uh, deleted, but um, it's 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 pretty bad. I mean, what what would be the worst thing that they could say about you? Oh, look, the worst thing they can do is question your integrity, uh, and so that 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 would cut pretty deep uh, in terms of that side mm. of things. If it was uh, I mean, out in the public domain of you know some punter or whatever else. But if you had, if if you had people inside the game, then questioning your integrity that was uh, that was pretty annoying. Uh, but in terms of the rest of the stuff, look, you know that's life. It comes with the territory. And, and Peter Brock always had a great saying of you know it, it, um, that that it's none of my business what other people think of me. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the time, uh, I, I, look, I, I'm quite happy. I, at the end of my career, even during my career. I could look at myself in the mirror and say, yep, I'm doing the right job for the right reasons. As I said before on here and other times, plenty of times, did I make mistakes? Absolutely. Did I learn from them? Absolutely. Did I do the best I can? Yep. And the most important thing for me was, um, did I go out there to make sure that the players had time and space, safe environment, and could play as they wanted to play? And I did that every time. Uh, and and for me, that was that was a great thing. It was about... The, the, the players game and, and I enjoyed what I did had some great experiences and uh, uh, and if people chose to think other things well that's fine and it's quite interesting on that that the number of people that you run into along the way um, that you know people would meet you and then they'd say oh yeah I used to think you're a bit of a whatever but now I've met you okay well that's great hmm. and but at the, the end of the card. day do you so, still get the red card out, mate? No, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter, you know. So, so at the end of the day, that's uh, that that's life. And and, uh, and as I said, you're there to be a decision maker, not not to be liked. Just you know, that that it was just respect at the end of the day. And so, I walk away with a clear conscience. Uh, and you know, if other people want to set up Facebook pages <laughs> and those sort of things, really, I'm not sure I'm that important in their life. No that uh, they're the biggest. <laughs> they're, they're, the uh, they're the biggest losers. Dedicate me. Yeah, the other thing Facebook is, uh, <laughs> what what has it given you? Uh, what has it added to your personality? Has it made you a tougher person? Has to. Oh yeah. Look, I mean, I think the thing around that was always had had those sort of qualities around um, decision making, and, and the thing for me, it really was around um, that 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 you had some values and you could stick stick to those values uh, in the good times and the bad times. So when, you know, uh, and, and you had a, a good platform to set yourself from. Uh, and, and I think probably the, the, other, the other great thing was just the, the, the life experiences. So, you know, to, to meet so many people in, you know, from, from poorer circumstances to wealthy. I mean, I, I remember the most ridiculous thing of, uh, and I say that in terms of just the, the, the situation um, that, that you find yourself in, 
um, from one, one extreme to the other of on one Thursday being in Soweto and then on Monday night, you know, being and having dinner at the uh, Oxford and Cambridge Club in London. Uh, so those, those raw life experiences. Mm. Uh, so I think, I think that's been the great thing, the passport to the world, the travel, the growth that you get, um, not only as a, a referee inside of that, but just as a human being. Um, that, uh, that, that bigger picture that you see inside of stuff. So, I mean, that's helped, uh, that's helped enormously in, uh, in life in general and, uh, and, and you know, being, being a, a, a better person and, uh, and helping others as well along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the, um, my mentors early on were great referees, rugby league referees. And, uh, you know, they copped so much abuse and you thought, oh, geez, how do you put up with it? But, um, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and they're a different breed, the referees group, and they do get on with each other. And uh, I guess uh, there's a breed out there now that uh, has to push the game forward. Stu, as we uh, wrap up, I mean, what um, what do you look to put back into the game now? I know you're forging ahead with business, but obviously you like to remain close to it. Yeah, so look, doing a, a bit of coaching now back at uh, New South Wales level. So just trying to balance that really now with um, probably for the next you know few years doing a little bit of that. Um, just while the kids are still growing up now and being able to spend time with them. Because uh, for all the good things you get, the other things are there's a there's a lot of time away and, and that's hard on family and, and particularly um, you know, your partner. So my wife, you know, I'm lucky I married a genius because she's, uh, <laughs> she's had so much time, uh, you know, to, to, you know, almost like a single mum at, yeah. at times. So, you know, want to be able to put that back into family. Uh, but also, you know, if you've had a drink from the well, then I, you know, firmly believe you've got to, you know, replenish that at some point. So that's what I'm doing inside of New South Wales at the moment. And as the, as the kids get older and, and then, you know, um, then I'll, you know, I'll be able to dedicate probably a bit more time to that side of things. So, uh, and then obviously, you know, looking after that uh, that side of things in the uh, in the business career because it's uh, not like the players. If you had a number on your back, you'd probably be retired by now. But uh, <laughs> that wasn't the case for us. <laughs> uh, now, line for Casho for the record down the barrel, one or two referees on the field. One only Casho. One oh, only. There you go. All right. I'm not going to give up, Casho. <laughs> All right. All right, Stu Dickinson, thank you very much for coming in. Pleasure. You had a figure when you were refereeing too, mate. Oh, mate well, I'm probably still around about the same weight I had. <laughs> so I reckon I probably about two or three kilos, so important to stay fit. Still no, no not any better looking, so that's okay. Uh, that's I always say, mate, beauty skin deep, but uglies to the bone, so that's the <laughs> Exactly. There he is, Stu Dickinson, Test and World Cup referee. Uh, it's been our pleasure to have him in the studio. Stu, all the best, mate, with the business, and thank you again. Thanks, Stu. I really appreciate it. Look forward right. to coming back again. Yeah, there he is. Stu Dickinson joining us on Rugged Matrix International, episode 188. As I said, uh, we had a few weeks off, now we're back with a vengeance. Looking to go to Europe next week as we wrap up the competitions there. A week or so after the Heineken Cup and the Premiership being decided as well. So we'll have a special guest there and we'll look at Super Rugby. And of course the uh, Southern Hemisphere Test Series. And a lot of action to continue there with England and of course France close to home for us. What team will turn up for France? Who knows? Let's see. It'll be a three-test series that we're looking forward to. All right, that's the show for this week. Stu Dickinson, thank you again for joining us. And Mark Cashman will be back to join us on the program next week. Till then, enjoy your rugby. Rugby.